Adulting sucks. I mean, it's like when you're a kid, things magically appear before you, like food, fully cooked and ready, cut into small bite-sized pieces, just right there on your plate, and drinks arrive in these spill-proof containers. You can't make a mess, and your servants, I mean, your parents, like, get you stuff, like clothes, then they fold them, they wash them, sometimes they even put them away. But suddenly and quite rudely, I might add, society insists that you become an adult. And all of a sudden, you're responsible for junk that before was magically there for you, like shampoo. I don't even like buying shampoo. I don't even like shampoo. But I'm obligated as an adult to purchase shampoo on a regular basis. And I'm forced to like spend my money on it. And once you're a parent, not only just for me, but like for my people, you know? And I have to have a job to buy these kinds of things. So you gotta buy shampoo, you gotta buy gas money. And for you, you have to go buy gas money to go in your car to go to school. A couple years ago, if you recall, your parents would ever so kindly warm the car and you would sit your bottom down on a seat warmer and they would drop you off at the front door of school. But now, you have to get up at the butt crack of dawn in January when it's still dark out and scrape ice off your 1998 Honda Accord and then get inside it to realize you don't even have enough gas money to get to school because you had to buy shampoo, right? Adulting sucks. And like, at what point are you suddenly responsible for buying things like shampoo? So now you have to have shampoo, so now you have to have a job. And because you have a job, because for only, the only reason is because you're, well, you're adulting, right? And so you have this job, and the idea is you work one hour, and for that one hour, they will give you the equivalent money to buy one bottle of shampoo. Because some person named FICA took half your money, and the other half your money had to go to um, actually like get the gas in the car to drive to work and to drive home from work, and now you have a job and you still do not have any shampoo. And so it sucks. Adulting sucks. And there's a thing going around social media that's like, maybe you've got a subscription to adulthood and now you'd like to cancel it. But that actually doesn't work. You're, you're stuck with it because someone decides that you're no longer a kid, you're no longer supplied unlimited chicken nuggets and naps every day. Instead, you're forced into adulthood. And so that's why this year we're launching a series called Adulting Sucks. Because we just want to acknowledge it. The transition from teenager to adult or from kid to teenager is a really, really a crappy one. And a lot of stuff suddenly becomes your responsibility and it's hard to know when does it start, when will it ever end, and how do you navigate it. So tonight, Adulting Sucks, part one, being able to admit when you're wrong and to make a legit apology. That's the skill that we want you to learn by the end of the night because when you're an adult, this is something that comes up all the time. Because point number one, everyone who is adulting screws up at some point. This happens to us. The Bible says it all fancy. It says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. All have sinned, right? That every one of us is screwing up in this concept of adulting. We make mistakes, we blow it, and it's hard. And so part of adulting is knowing that mistakes are gonna happen. 
that I will make mistakes as a fellow adult, you will make mistakes as an adult, and everybody's gonna make mistakes, and somehow we have to be able to make mistakes without beating ourselves up, without hating on ourselves, and being super hard on ourselves. So just in the interest of complete and total honesty, I just want you to know that I screw up, too. You probably already knew that. And being an adult does not ever mean that anyone has it all figured out, especially when I first started adulting. So tonight I'm going to tell you a couple stories of epic fails of my um, early adventures of adulting, just so that you can feel comforted and better. Try not to spread them around um, too much because they're a little bit not awesome of me. But anyways, um, one day I remember very vividly was the day that I got my driver's license, right? And a little bit, that's when all of a sudden you're officially adulting. And because now you have a vehicle, you have to maintain the vehicle, you have to gas said vehicle, you have to be responsible. Plus, also, you're driving like this one-ton piece of steel down the road, and you could kill people. And so you're no longer a kid when that happens. So I get my driver's license. I'm super pumped about my driver's license. I'm ready to go. I'm so excited to rock my mom's minivan, because that's how awesome I was when I started out adulting. And so I'm going to rock my mom's minivan. I'm so excited. I pick up all my friends. We're going to go, and we're going to have, it's, a, it's like a weird holiday. I don't know if it's Martin Luther King Day or what was going on, but somehow on a Monday, we didn't have school, and so my friends and I, we were going to all go together to Carl's Jr. Baby, that was the plan, and we were going to eat. I was the first one in my clique to get my driver's license, and on the way home from that, I completely totaled the van. And um, it sucked so bad. Like, I hadn't even been an adult, not even, not even 24 hours, totaled the van. I then faced instant adulthood. A $1,000 deductible, completely my responsibility for a van that was completely totaled that I would not be driving ever again any vehicle for a long time. Also, it wasn't even like, this is... They didn't even have a license for me, really. It was like a temporary license. And I'd already lost points on a license. And it was so new that they couldn't even find my license in the system to assign my lost three points. Then my dad thought it would be funny, because obviously I now owed a lot of money to my mom and dad for the van situation, that I should go apply for jobs. And so my dad, awesome, is driving me around to apply for jobs. And just for the sake of irony, he says, let's apply at Walgreens at the exact intersection where you crashed the van. That'll be fun. So I got my first job at the exact intersection where I crashed the van. And it was kind of like the spot of the death of my childhood and the beginning of my adulting. And it had major consequences for me, day one of my freedom. Being an adult is not just about getting things right because no one is really gonna get everything right every time. But the difference between being a child and being an adult is owning it. It's being able to say, I did it. I outright crashed the van on day. It was me. I was in the driver's seat. It was my decision. I was trying to get through the yellow light real quick in the left-hand turn and the lady sped, but it was still my fault. I crashed. Like, being able to own it and admit it. Because kids don't own mistakes. I don't know if you guys have realized that. Children never own mistakes. They always make up some reason that it's someone else's fault. Now, you can have a 60-year-old child, <coughs> my dad, but um, he's never been wrong ever in his life. He actually still argues about what the Bible says to me. I like show him 18 verses that contradict him, but I'm still misunderstanding, and he is correct. So children of whatever age 
refuse to accept responsibility and own their mistakes. But maturity says, I can make a mistake and I can say, that was me. I made that mistake. I, I did that. And it's not pretty and we don't like it, but maturity says we can own it. Childhood says, I got to blame something else, someone else, something else, somehow. A few months ago, my four-year-old, Azariah, he greeted Judah, who's five and a half, at the front door. As soon as Judah came, he like ran to the front door. And he's like, Judah, you need to sit down. I have some very bad news for you. I'm really sorry about it. And Judah's like, what happened? And he's like, okay, while you were gone with dad, I was home with mom. And no, no, mom didn't see it. But while you were gone, a bad guy, dinosaur monster, snuck into the kitchen and sneaked your sucker. Not mine or Benaya's, just yours. Sneaked it down to my bedroom and ate it and hid the wrapper behind my dresser. Goes in this elaborate plot. Well, Judah's dumbfounded. He's like, a dinosaur monster bad guy? Are you serious? Show me. So Azariah's like, all that's left now is the wrapper. Mom didn't even see it. So Judah follows Azariah downstairs. They go behind the dresser, and sure enough, there is the sucker stick and the wrapper. And Judah's like, I never saw a dinosaur monster bad guy before. And his eyes start to fill with tears because he had been saving that sucker for a long time, 12 to 13 hours. His eyes filled the tears, and Azariah says, I know that you were going to feel sad about your sucker, so I sneaked a quarter from my piggy bank, and I'll give it to you because you're so sad that the dinosaur monster bad guy stealed your sucker. And Judah said, okay, and everyone was happy. When you're a kid, you try to find someone else, a dinosaur monster bad guy, someone, something, somebody for its fault to be that a mistake or something didn't go right. But when you're adulting, you got to man up or woman up and you got to say, it was me. It wasn't a dinosaur monster. It was me. I'm the one that did it. And that's the second point. When you screw up, when we screw up, be adult enough to own it and be willing to pay the price for it. Kids lie about everything. They hide, they cover up, they dodge responsibility, no matter what it means inventing. But the truth is, if we can learn to say, wait a second, it was me. I, I blew it. I didn't think that through. And because I didn't think it through, this is what happened, and it's my fault. It's on me. Or I tried to do it, and I didn't know how, and I broke it worse, and I'm sorry. No, my friends and I were being stupid, Mom. That's why the coffee table is broken now. I said I would take out the trash, but I actually didn't, and it's my fault. The, the ability as a young adult, learning to adult, to just say, hey guys, um, that one's on me. I blew it. I made the mistake. I was wrong. It's super refreshing. Like other adults around that person that says, I did it, it was, it was, it was on me, they're all of a sudden, like they're ready, try it once. Like, you're right, mom, I did say I would take out the trash, but I did not, and that was wrong. Your mom is like ready to blast you with her mom bazooka. She's about to come unglued on your behind, and you're about to be ungrounded for an unlimited period of time, but as soon as you say, you're right, mom, 
it's my, I hope you're taking notes, it's my fault. Then all of a sudden, said mom bazooka just like, it melts. Because, you, because you're owning it, because you're saying it's my fault, I, I, I take responsibility. It's super refreshing, it's super disarming. People cannot argue with someone saying, I didn't think it through, my bad, that one's on me. You can't argue with that, a boss can't, a pastor can't, a parent can't, a boyfriend, girlfriend, friend. There's really no relationship you're in on a regular basis that has an argument to, it's my fault. You can't really respond other than, oh, well, okay then. It just kind of takes away all of the argument. By owning it, owning it's not just a get out of jail free card though. Because somehow, even though you own it, the end table's still break, broken. The family van is still destroyed. The sucker is still eaten. And ultimately, no matter how it got broken, on accident, on purpose, somebody still has to pay for it. So when you're a kid, the somebody who pays for it is your parent. When you're an adult, the somebody who pays for it becomes you. And that sucks. We don't want to do that. When you're four and you're like running through the house and you like trip and you spill your grape juice accidentally all over the carpet and it's stained, you probably didn't even have to wipe it up. Some magical servant came along, wiped up all of your grape juice, and then they eventually had to replace the carpet because that probably happened, right? But let's say you're in college now and you and your friends have your first apartment and you trip and you spill your grape juice because no one put it in a sippy cup for you and it sucks and it's all over the carpet. Not only do you have to clean it, but you lose your security deposit when you move out because adulting sucks. And every mistake pretty much has a cost. Even though it's okay to make them and we can recover and we can learn junk from them, mistakes still have a cost and someone has to pay it. And when you're an adult and you're learning to adult and you're actually adulting, you have to actually pay the price even if it's not on purpose. Because mistakes cost someone in our community. And when you're adulting, you're willing to say, the person who it should cost is me. Because either by accident or on purpose, my actions caused this problem. And that's part of adulting is learning to be okay with that and go, oh, that totally sucks. I'm losing my $500 security deposit, but that means I have to work a bajillion hours at my minimum wage job. Totally blows. But you just own it. I didn't crash the van on purpose. I, it was a horrific accident. I didn't get grounded for it because I was adulting, right? So my consequence was way worse than getting grounded. I got the job. I paid the fines. I paid the deductible. Grounding would have been way awesomer. And that is why adulting. Every time we make a mistake, there's a consequence. Sometimes the consequence is financial, but a lot of times the consequences is, consequence is relational, right? It's not just that we total a van or steal a sucker, it's that we hurt another person. Like we hurt their heart, we hurt their emotions, we hurt their trust in us, and so somehow we have to figure out how to deal with that. So a second epic fail that I had when I was learning to adult has to do with my best friend Susan and her boyfriend. She had this boyfriend all through like the end of eighth grade, through the whole summer, and into ninth grade. And I didn't really like him personally, I thought he was kind of a jerk, but whatevs. So, and also he was stealing my best friend and that kind of sucked for me too. So I was a little bit of jealous. So at freshman homecoming, 
he invites my friend to the dance. They go to the dance. They're having a great time. And she goes and I don't know what she's doing. She's off to the side. And, and her boyfriend starts like dancing up on some girl in a way that ain't nobody's grandma want to see. It was like way up there. <laughs> so Susan turns and sees it and she's humiliated. She's embarrassed. She starts bawling. She runs to the bathroom. So best friend JL steps onto the scene. I'm adulting, right? I'm I'm 15 years old, I'm gonna fix this problem. And right in the school cafeteria in front of God and everyone, I turn and I slap him across the face. That was my, that was my solution, right? That was a horrible plan, okay? Horrible plan, thank you for clapping. That was way more enthusiasm than I got that day in the school cafeteria. But the problem was now that obviously we're in like, you know, a very immature relationship. So next week, when Susan made up with her boyfriends, they were like on the same team and I was the horrible evil friend that slapped him across the face in front of God and everyone. And so I had to regain trust. I had to, I owed him something, he felt. I had to rebuild trust, regain trust. I had to pay him back somehow, relationally, because I was adulting and I made a horrible choice to like straight up physically assault someone in public with a thousand witnesses not a good choice. And he didn't make it easy. The Bible tells us that when we wrong someone, we have a responsibility to fix it. And that responsibility to fix it comes first when we're adulting, right? So Matthew 5, verse 23 says this. Jesus is speaking and he says, so if you are standing at the altar in the temple, offering a sacrifice to God, Okay, that's not something we do a lot. We're not like bringing cows and chickens and stuff. But the altar, when we come up here and the worship team's up here and they're singing and praising to leading us in praise and worship, this is not a stage, it's actually an altar. And what we're bringing is actually a sacrifice of thanks and praise to God. So it's kind of the New Testament equivalent. And so when we're standing here before the altar in the temple, bringing our sacrifice to God, singing our hearts out to God, and suddenly remember that a friend has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar. That's how important it is. Leave your sacrifice at the altar, go and apologize and be reconciled to him and then come back and offer your sacrifice to God. So God is saying it is so important when we're adulting that we go, I was wrong, it's on me, and that we somehow pay the price to fix things relationally so there's nothing in between us and the people around us. That He values that that highly, that he's like, you know what, just leave, it's okay, just leave your worship moment and go fix it with your friend. That's pretty intense. And that's why the third truth tonight is when we own our mistakes... We have to offer an authentic apology and ask for forgiveness. Now, real adulting is a skill where we learn how to apologize to someone. And lots of things can come into play. So at our house, I, you guys know, I have three boys, right? They're, right now they're seven, almost six, four and a half. And so I have decided, like, not only am I raising sons, but I'm also raising someone's husband someday and someone's father someday. And I wanna make sure that my boys know how to apologize. Because it's a skill, right? It's part of adulting. They don't understand the full significance, but I still do it. And so I make them do this. If they wrong each other, the, the person who did the wrong goes to timeout, right? 
duh, every mother does this in the world. They sit in time out, but they're specifically supposed to be thinking about how to apologize to the person that they wronged. And when their timeout is over, then they have to go to the victim of their slap or the candy stealing or whatever occurred, and they have to make an apology. And I don't just allow them to be like, hey, sorry about it, and move on with their lives. Like, it has to be well thought out. So here are the steps in my house. They have to state what they are sorry for. So, Azariah, I'm sorry that I snuck your candy when you were gone, hid it in my room, and ate it. And I'm also sorry that I lied to you about it and tricked you, and that was wrong. That is like the real standard of an apology from my four-year-old. Because I think it matters. I think it matters that, you, that, you, that we all learn to think about what we're apologizing for. Like, if we've wronged somebody, when I slap my... That was my friend's boyfriend's name. When I slapped him, I owed him an apology. And it had to be like an authentic, real apology. When Azariah stole Judah's sucker, he owed him an apology. Not just a quick, I'm sorry, but if he spent that much time figuring out how to invent a bad guy monster dinosaur, then he could spend that much time thinking about how to make it right to his brother that he stole the sucker and tricked him and lied about it for quite some time. So they have to state what they're sorry for. Then they have to say, will you forgive me? And I think this is a really important thing. Like when we're, when we're making an apology to a friend, to our parents, to a teacher, to someone that we've wronged, that we make that statement, will you forgive me? Because reconciling, making things right is about the fact that that person that I wronged feels like I owe them something. I owe them a debt of some kind a relational debt of some kind. And when I say, will you forgive me, then that person is saying, yes, you no longer owe me. And that's an important question to put to that other person. And then I, this is the other thing I do at home. I don't let my, the victim of whatever happens, I don't let him just say, that's okay. Because it's not okay. It's not okay that Azariah stole Judah's sucker. It was wrong. It's not okay if Benaiah smacks Azariah upside the head. That is wrong. And when you say it's okay, then you're saying someone's allowed to wrong you or abuse you or harm you in some way. And part of adulting is recognizing that's not okay. It's not okay to steal. It's not okay to hit. It's not okay to lie about it. It's, those things are not okay. So instead, when someone makes their apology, I'm sorry that I stole your sucker and lied to you about it and hid the wrapper and tried to trick you and was like a big mean jerk and it was your favorite sucker, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? The other brother at my house has to say, yes, I forgive you, or has to say, thank you. Thank you means I need to think about it a little bit but thank you for apologizing. If a brother says thank you, then I as a mom have a little side talk with the brother and help him get to a place where he can forgive his brother. But you can't just say it's okay because in adulting, you're gonna have some people that really wrong you and it's not okay, it's not fair, it's not right. But acknowledging and, and accepting their apology and asking for, this is like the best marriage advice, dating advice you could get. Like if you will learn how to apologize authentically Everybody's gonna mess up. Everybody's gonna make mistakes. But if we can apologize authentically, almost any relationship can continue to move forward. Huge adulting skill that no one really talks about. So this is a shocking thing. There's a verse in the Bible, and if you don't know the background of this verse, you might be like, huh, 
All right, cool. Sounds like David was just a pretty cool guy. It's in Acts 13. Let's take a look real quick. It says, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Let's leave that verse up for a second. Because if you don't know the background story, you're like, cool. David was a good guy. David was righteous. And that's why God said all that really nice stuff, thing, stuff about him in the Bible. That's not actually true. <laughs> Sorry, David. God rest your soul. Okay, so this is, what, this is what happened. If you don't know, David basically stole another man's wife. He actually... The man he stole the wife, he actually knew the man whose wife he stole, probably fairly well, possibly even a close friend. He then slept with that woman while her husband was deployed in a war. A war of which David was the king and the general of said army. So he deployed this soldier, then he knocked up his wife. On, you know, purpose. It wasn't an accident. Although he said it was because he saw her bathing and then he sent a servant to get her, and then he slept with her. Well, then when the wife got pregnant, he tried to cover it up by asking the general on the battlefield to send Uriah, the husband, home. Then he, like, had a meal with the guy and said, you know what, you're such a good soldier. Why don't you just go home, spend the night with your wife, right? Have a good rest in a real bed, and he tried to like convince him to kind of go home and hoping they would get it on. And then he would think that the baby was his and just came a little early or something like that. And so Uriah, the soldier, he's like, so he leaves the king, the general's presence, and he decides, you know what? It's not right for me to go home and enjoy myself. I'm going to sleep in the doorway of the castle because the men in the army that I serve with are sleeping in the fields and risking their lives. I will not be disloyal to David like that. So David hears he didn't go home, didn't get it on with his wife, and so he invites Uriah back a second evening for dinner and gets him wasted deliberately. Thinks, if I get him drunk enough, he will certainly go home and get some action. He won't have any moral values about it, he'll just have some fun, Again, wife will get pregnant, quote unquote, and it'll all be great. And so Uriah, even drunk Uriah, doesn't go home, doesn't sleep with his wife. And the king is like, ah, what do I do? Doesn't own it, doesn't adult, right? What does he do? He actually hands Uriah a letter and says, take this back to the battlefield. And so he takes it back to the battlefield and the letter enclosed says, put Uriah on the front and make sure he gets killed carries his own death sentence to his boss on the front line. So he gets there, gives the letter, and basically that's what happens, and Uriah dies. So then David, King David, he goes and he says, oh, Bathsheba, so sorry you're widowed. Come to my home, and he marries her. Straight up stole the guy's wife, right? And then he won't admit it. He doesn't own it. He doesn't acknowledge it for years. Years go by. And then finally one day, King David says, Someone comes in, kind of confronts him, a prophet, yells at him about it, and King David owns it. Years later, but he finally goes, I was wrong. I had a person killed. That was murder. I committed adultery. I stole the dude's wife. I have evil in my heart. And he apologizes. And he owns it big. 
Like true, owns it, authentic apology. And this is what God says about the guy. A man about whom God has said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. God so values owning it. God so values an authentic apology that there is nothing that we can do that we can't come back from. Nothing. Nothing, no way we can't blow it and then have an authentic moment of, I was wrong, I apologize, and can't be forgiven of. Guys, that is such a significant truth. Because so many teenagers in my lifetime of serving as a youth pastor have said, I've blown it too big. I've messed up too bad. No one will ever be able. God will never forgive me. God will never use me. God will never accept me. Now you can't go into it and be like, cool, I'm going to just smoke a bunch of weed. I'm going to get with a bunch of girls. I'm going to get, kill people. I, right, obviously. You can't go in with the intention of, oh well. But if you sin, and when you sin, in adulting, when you blow it, if you come back to God and own it and say, I, I blew it, and you authentically from your heart make an apology, God's grace is sufficient for you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. And this key to adulting works not only one to another, when I wrong Aaron and Aaron wrongs me, that we admit it, own it, and apologize to one another, it works here, but it also works here. It works with us and God, no matter what we've done, to the point that God is able to look at a man who blew it that bad. I mean, that's pretty epic, right? Pretty massive public failure. Crazy. God's able to look at that man and say, man after my own heart does everything I want him to do. So God isn't expecting, demanding perfect action, but he does expect us to respond to our mistakes in a way that's authentic. And so adulting sucks, but if we'll own it, we'll accept responsibility, pay the price, and apologize, there's nothing that we can't overcome. Let's pray together. God, we love you. The fact that you would love us so much that you would just let us come to you in authenticity and honesty and that you would forgive us, it's huge. And God, as we look forward from where we're at now through our lifetime and we realize that we're gonna have responsibilities as adults that we're gonna sometimes make mistakes, we're gonna sometimes have to own it and we're gonna have to apologize, God, help us. Help us to be humble enough to be able to admit when we blow it and to be able to go to the people, go to you, and own it and apologize and make it right. We give ourselves to you tonight. We thank you for your presence in this room. We love you, and we love each other. We love being here together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.